When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking about we're looking at the story of the quail. I don't know if you enjoy roasted quail, um, but the people of God did in the wilderness, and yet it brought plague. So we'll explore that today in our study of Numbers 11. You can imagine the joy of seeing those quail for the first time. They had longed for the quail. They had asked for something for meat. They had sang and lamented and wept over the lack of cucumbers and melons and onions and leeks and garlics of Egypt. They had longed for the fish from the river Nile. And now the quail was here. Um, The bounty of God was poured out on them. The quail come from the sea um, and they are brought on the wind. It's... um, it's really an abundance of riches in many ways. Uh, the, the craving that they had is not a good thing in many ways. And yet we can certainly relate to them as people, knowing that we are people that also have cravings and desires for things. The quail is so much that in the abundance, there is the judgment of God. Um, Two cubits deep, that's about a yard deep of quail. Um, And people gather and they work night and day. Um, And the least anyone gathered was 10 homers. Um, A homer is, I think, bigger than a bushel. Um, They spread these out. These are live quail that they're keeping in pens. Um, And then the writer says, but while the meat was still between their teeth, Before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and the Lord struck them with a very great plague. Um, Was the plague some sort of quail-borne disease or something else? It doesn't say, but it somehow was related. Um, It's pretty um, awful to think about in the joy of the moment as they gather this livestock from heaven, um, that they are struck with this plague. And yet, this goes back to that relationship that God has with God's people, that it is their complaints, it is their indictment, um, their accusation that God has abandoned them, that Moses has abandoned them to die. And yet, even though every single day the manna is showing up, The man is showing up and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It tastes good. It meets their needs. Every single day that man is showing up. um, And that still mean, and and still in spite of that, there is this complaint and call for the quail. So the quail is the judgment. Sometimes the judgment of God is the judgment of abundance. Um, Sometimes the judgment of God is, is not stopping us from doing that which we desire. 
Um, this is part of the scary part of a relationship with God, um, that the possibility for self-deception exists in all of us, that we all uh, carry in us the possibility of self-deception, that we, um, given all that we are and all that makes us who we are, that we hold that within us, that the judgment of God could be that God lets us do what we want. Um, Romans chapter 1 is often cited um, in, as one of the so-called clobber passages of the Bible. I, I would argue that um, even using clobber passages as a joke um, is probably not um, doing our faith of uh, any great favors to sort of acknowledge that there are um, problematic parts of the Bible. They're problematic to us because maybe we don't understand them completely. Um, but And they're certainly used to clobber people. So I'm not going to stop any or argue with anybody that uses clobber passages, but I choose not to use that because I don't think that um, that these passages have the ability to clobber anybody um, that is uh, that perhaps is... Uh, the typical target of those texts. The um, Romans chapter one makes it very clear that the judgment of God is often uh, not God, not doing anything to stop people when they are only thinking of themselves, when they only are trying to consume more and more and more, when they are predatory in their relationships and in their indulgences. Um, the judgment is for, of God is to not stop them from doing that. And everyone needs to take it one step further, and they take things one step further and one step further. Um, and this is how we know, this is what we know about our own lives, too. Um, it's not about being a gay person or a lesbian or um, a bisexual person or a transgender person or a queer person. Um, that's not what Romans 1 is talking about. Romans 1 is talking about what all of us do, every single one of us when we only think about ourselves and needs above all, uh, all others, and especially of the community that God has called us to. That is not to say that we don't have needs and we don't, and we don't have desires and that enjoying things is, not, is a bad thing. Um, every so often the pendulum of our culture swings. Um, I think Oprah Winfrey uh, did so much to help people enjoy things, to say like, you deserve this. You need a break. You need a vacation. You need to take some time to pamper yourself. And uh, I think she led that charge of helping people, especially those who um, were relocated to roles of servitude in their families and other places like that, to really uh, flourish and, and, and uh, live the full, fullness of their lives. Um, and then the, but the pendulum swings so far that, that the slightest inconvenience is somehow um, outside what we feel like we deserve. And so the other pendulum swings the other way, that life is full of self-sacrifice and we ought to um, remove our own personality from every situation and not enjoy anything. The minute we enjoy something, that that's a sin or something. And that's not where God is calling us. Kind of like uh, we talked about on Trinity Sunday, the one and the many. How am I an individual with individual needs and individual um, experience of the world, that I can only experience the world myself, 
not through anybody else's eyes, but, but through my life and through my observations. And I am an individual. I am one, but I am also many. I am also um, in community with other people. I find out who I am in relationship with other people. Um, as Desmond Tutu said, uh, you are a person through other persons that is in relationships and being part of something bigger than myself and part of human community that I can grow and flourish and be myself. And it's in my giving to that community that I find who I really am. And we live in constant balance or imbalance with the one and the many. If we are only thinking of the one ourselves, um, we're going to live a life of destruction and devastation to others. If we only think of others and only absorb, let ourselves be absorbed into communal situations and community and other people's lives and fr friendships, and there's labels for this called codependency and lots of other things that we don't like. Um, if we lose ourselves in that community, we also um, find that we are very far from fulfillment. We are very far from being ourselves. We are very far from God. Because God is Trinity. God is the one and God is the many. God is one and God is many. And in God, we find that perfect balance between the one and the many. And so um, the people's judgment, the judgment against these people is to have so many quail that it seems like they're penning them in these Homer pens, these wicker basket type situations, um, and they're spreading them out for themselves in the camp. This is the key that unlocks why God gets so angry. They spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Suddenly, this community that is sharing the manna and is every day gathering this manna and sharing it, and if you take too much, it rots. And if you don't have enough, it grows. Um, God, this is miracle food. It's just what you need. It's just the daily bread. Um, but now they are gathering these quail into pens. They've opened savings accounts. They've opened CDs and mutual funds. And, and this is their, their idea that somehow this, these quail baskets will keep, them from bad, keep bad things from happening to them. They're never going to be hungry again. They don't need Moses anymore. They don't need God anymore. They all, all they need is these quail. They have gathered for themselves these, and they have spread them out. Instead of drawing closer together as a people, they are more spread out. Um, the more spread out we become as humans, the less human we become. Humans were designed by God to live in community. Um, Adam and Eve, there was Adam, the story of Adam and Eve is Adam's longing for community. Uh, he doesn't have any. He sees that the animals have community, and he doesn't. So this longing for community is part of our story of, as, as humans. Jesus never called anyone to be alone. He called people into community with each other. And again, there's that one and the many. We can have dysfunctional community, and we can have, uh, we can have loneliness when we don't have any community. And we live in between those two extremes, but they are both true. We both need, we need both those things. And so God's people are moving away from each other and, that, and God is angry about that. So this plague comes um, and they bury the people who died because of their craving. Um, their, their, un, 
community, their, 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 their failure to love their neighbor as their self, their failure to keep the, the covenant, to keep the commandments of God, um, brought, brought destruction on them. That's always how it works. Um, when, when we break the law, the law breaks us. Um, we find that, that we don't have what we thought we could have if we just hoard and save and, and keep things from others. So this is one of those stories that is meant to teach the dangers of hoarding, um, the dangers of keeping everything for ourselves as a guarantee against chance. God was feeding them in the desert every single day. And God was going to keep feeding them in the desert every single day. And God is going to keep you fed wherever you are every single day. That's what God has promised to do. And you've got to trust God for that. Um, And the quail will come and the quail will go. But the manna will always be there. God is manna for us. God has prepared that for us. God is there. So trust God today. If you're tempted by of building quail pens, um, you know, eat the quail, enjoy it, um, and share those quail, um, because the manna is going to keep coming. God is going to keep pouring that, that uh, magical bread into our lives, that daily bread that Jesus taught us to pray for. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Today, um, the church remembers Evelyn Underhill, um, one of my um, favorite p- folks on the calendar, um, mainly because she's very recent, um, relatively to a lot of the saints. Got 2,000 years of Christian history and a couple thousand years before that of uh, biblical history. Lots of people, lots of places, lots of dates, but um, she's a modern saint um, for us dying in 1941. She was born on December 6, 1875, um, the only child of a prominent barrister and his wife. Evelyn Underhill was born in England in 1875 and grew up in London. She went to a girls' school in Folkestone and was confirmed in the Church of England. 
Um, as If you don't know that we are part of the worldwide Anglican communion as Episcopalians, and if you lived in England, you'd be in the Church of England, um, which we were in America until the American Revolution. We changed our name to Episcopalian instead of Church of England because being English and having England in your name when you just won a war against England was not um, all that desirable for a lot of Americans. Um, she had spiritual curiosity, but very little formal religious training in her youth. Um, but at 16, she began her lifelong devotion to writing about her mystical experiences. Um, she had few childhood companions, but one of them, Hubert Stuart Moore, she eventually married. Other friends made later included very famous persons, although you might not recognize these names, and neither do I. Um, I don't know why they're called famous. Hubert, or excuse me, Lawrence Hausman, Maurice Hewlett, and Sarah Bernhardt. I think I've heard of Sarah Bernhardt, but I don't know what she did. Closest of all were Ethel Ross Barker, a devout Roman Catholic, and Bad Baron Frederick Friedrich von Hugel, with whom she formed a strong spiritual bond. He became her director in matters mystical. In the 1890s, Evelyn began annual visits to the continent of Europe and especially to Italy, where she became where she came under the influence um, of the paintings of the Italian masters and by the uh, people in the Roman Catholic Church in Italy. She spent nearly 15 years painfully wrestling with the idea of converting to Roman Catholicism, but decided in the end not to swim the Tiber, as we call it in Anglicanism. The Church of England, Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, um, has a very similar um, ethos to Roman Catholicism in that we, especially in England, um, in England we were the state church and still are the state church of England. The king, the queen, all the princes and their families are all Anglicans in England. Um, and so there is a real feel of like the whole community being involved in this church, something that in America we really don't have a sense of because um, there's like 500 different denominations here, or 500, thousands, more than five, more than hundreds, thousands. Um, and there's a lot of variety of churches in America uh, and not one in particular that sort of um, has an official relationship with our government, although we have certainly tried to be that one a number of times. Um, but in England, it's much more comprehensive, like everything is Anglican, kind of. Everywhere you turn, the schools, um, the state schools you go to are Anglican schools with Anglican priests running around teaching things. Um, so... Um, there's a, there's a lot of similarity, especially in the um, 1890s when Evelyn Underhill was going to, to Italy, um, but decided not to do that. Um, the, the most famous person to become Roman Catholic from uh, being Church of England or Anglican was uh, John Henry Newman. He was an Anglican bishop who became a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church, and most of the college campus ministries you'll find in the United States and around the world are named after him, Cardinal Newman, um, who is a famous Anglican convert to Roman Catholicism. Swimming the Tiber. The Tiber is a river in Rome. 
And when you swim the Tiber, you go from Anglicanism to Roman Catholicism. Um, in 1921, Evelyn Underhill became reconciled to her Anglican roots and re while remaining what she called a Catholic Christian. We are in the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, we confess. We believe in one holy Catholic Church. Um, Catholic is the word that means universal, that we believe in the, the councils of the church that made rulings, and um, that everything we believe should be believed by every Christian um, around the world. That, that's the idea of Catholicism, is that we are not just one particular brand of Christianity, but we, are, we share our core beliefs with as many Christians as we possibly can around the world. And that is what um, really essentially the word Catholic means. She continued with her life of reading, writing, and meditation and prayer. She had already published her first great spiritual work, Mysticism, and this was followed by other works in 1937. Um, her most widely read and studied book is Worship, um, called Worship. Evelyn Underhill's most valuable contribution to spiritual literature must surely be her conviction that the mystical life is not only open to a saintly few, but to anyone who cares to nurture it and weave it into everyday experiences. And also at the time, a startling idea that modern psychological theories and discoveries far from hindering or negating spirituality can actually enhance and transform it. Evelyn Underhill's writing proved appealing to many, resulting in a large international circle of friends and disciples, making her much in demand as a lecturer and retreat director. She died at age 65 in London in 1941, during the early parts of World War II in London. One of the greatest quotes she ever had that I love is, the most interesting thing about religion is God, she says. The most interesting thing about religion is God. Um, it's funny how we often turn to a lot of other things to, um, to find um, interest in religion. But um, God is the most interesting thing about our faith and ought always to be. Not us, not anything we do, but ultimately who we worship. Um, the other thing she talked about was that everyday spirituality, everyday mysticism, listening for God's voice and what God is saying to you in the everyday experiences of life. She tells a story in one of her books about um, how she was at some rich person's house and they had a chapel off to the side where they were having some incense swinging around and they were praying and chanting and doing even song. And then like there was this hallway and there was a study or a lounge or the smoking room where all the men would gather after dinner in those old olden times, as we can imagine and from movies and other things to sit around and talk and smoke. And the women would sit and drink tea or something in another room. And, she said in this hallway, you had the, the smell of incense drifting into the hallway from, from the chapel, and you had this pipe tobacco smell drifting in from the study. And she said her whole faith was somewhere in that hallway, in those two smells um, that sort of were coming together, both the holy incense of sacred worship and the everyday banter of normal people um, just having a good time and joking and laughing and smoking together. Um, and, and in that combination, that's where Christianity really thrives in both of those things coming together. 
not just one, not just the other, but really ultimately both of those things. So we pray, O God, origin, sustainer, and end of all creatures, grant that your church, taught by your servant Evelyn Underhill, guarded evermore by your power and guided by your spirit into the light of truth, may continually offer to you all glory and thanksgiving and attain with your saints to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have promised us by our Savior, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen.